0: Section forty nine of the Essays of Samuel Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Essays of Samuel Johnson. Section forty nine. On the Duty of Self Examination. The Adventurer. Tuesday, February 26th, 1754. T. Derexa, Pythagoras. What have I been doing? As man is a being, very sparingly furnished with the power of prescience, he can provide for the future only by considering the past, and as futurity is all in which he has any real interest. He ought very diligently to use the only means by which he can be enabled to enjoy it, and frequently to revolve the experiments which he has hitherto made upon life, that he may gain wisdom from his mistakes and caution from his miscarriages. Though I do not so exactly conform to the precepts of Pythagoras as to practice every night this solemn recollection, yet I am not so lost in dissipation as wholly to omit it, nor can I forbear sometimes to inquire of myself in what employment my life has passed away. Much of my time has sunk into nothing and left no trace by which it can be distinguished, and of this I now only know, that it was once in my power and might once have been improved. Note 22. Appendix. It was his custom to observe certain days with the pious abstraction, viz. New Year's Day, the day of his wife's death, Good Friday, Easter Day, and his own birthday. He, this year, 1764, says, I have now spent 55 years in resolving, having from the earliest time almost that I can remember being forming schemes of a better life. I have done nothing. The need of doing, therefore, is pressing, since the time of doing is short. O God, grant me to resolve aright and to keep my resolutions for jesus christ's sake amen prayers and meditations boswell's life of johnson volume one four eighty three end note of other parts of life memory can give some account at some hours i have been gay and at others serious i have sometimes mingled in conversation and sometimes meditated in solitude one day has been spent in consulting the ancient sages And another in writing adventurers. At the conclusion of any undertaking, it is usual to compute the loss and profit. As I shall soon cease to write adventurers, I could not forbear lately to consider what has been the consequence of my labors, and whether I am to reckon the hours laid out in these compositions as applied to a good and laudable purpose, or suffered to fume away in useless evaporations. That I have intended well, I have the attestation of my own heart, but good intentions may be frustrated when they are executed without suitable skill, or directed to an end unattainable in itself. Some there are who leave writers very little room for self-congratulation, some who affirm that books have no influence upon the public, that no age was ever made better by its authors, and that to call upon mankind to correct their manners is like Xerxes, to scourge the wind or shackle the torrent. This opinion they pretend to support by unfailing experience. The world is full of fraud and corruption, rapine and malignity, interest is the ruling motive of mankind, and everyone is endeavoring to increase his own stores of happiness by perpetual accumulations without reflecting upon the numbers whom his superfluity condemns to want. In this state of things, a book, or morality, is published, in which charity and benevolence are strongly enforced, and it is proved beyond opposition that men are happy in proportion as they are virtuous, and rich as they are liberal. The book is applauded, and the author is preferred. He imagines his applause deserved, and receives less pleasure from the acquisition of reward than the consciousness of merit. Let us look again upon mankind. Interest is still the ruling motive, and the world is yet full of fraud and corruption, malevolence and rapine. The difficulty of confuting this assertion arises merely from its generality and comprehension. To overthrow it by a detail of distinct facts, requires a wider survey of the world than human eyes can take. The progress of Reformation is gradual and silent as the extension of evening shadows. We know that they were short at noon and are long at sunset, but our senses were not able to discern their increase. We know of every civil nation that it was once savage, and how was it reclaimed but by precept and admonition. Mankind are universally corrupt, but corrupt in different degrees, as they are universally ignorant, yet with greater or less irradiations of knowledge. How has knowledge or virtue been increased and preserved in one place beyond another, but by diligent inculcation and rational enforcement? Books of morality are daily written, yet its influence is still little in the world. So the ground is annually ploughed, and yet multitudes are in want of bread. But surely neither the labors of the moralist nor of the husbandman are vain. Let them for a while neglect their tasks, and their usefulness will be known. The wickedness that is now frequent will become universal. The bread that is now scarce will wholly fail. The power, indeed, of every individual is small, and the consequence... Of his endeavours imperceptible in a general prospect of the world providence has given no man ability to do much that something might be left for every man to do the business of life is carried on by a general cooperation, in which the part of any single man can be no more distinguished than the effect of a particular drop when the meadows are floated by a summer shower yet every drop increases the inundation and every hand adds to the happiness or misery of mankind. That a writer, however zealous or eloquent, seldom works of visible effect upon cities or nations, will readily be granted. The book which is read most is read by few, compared with those that read it not. And of those few, the greater part peruse it with dispositions that very little favor their own improvement. It is difficult to enumerate the several motives which procure to books the honor of perusal. Spite, vanity and curiosity, hope and fear, love and hatred, every passion which incites to any other action, serves at one time or other to stimulate a reader. Some are fond to take a celebrated volume into their hands because they hope to distinguish their penetration by finding faults which have escaped the public. Others eagerly buy it in the first bloom of reputation, that they may join the chorus of praise, and not lag, as Falstaff terms it, in, quote, the rearwood of the fashion, end quote. Some read for style, and some for argument. One has little care about the sentiment. He observes only how it is expressed. Another regards not the conclusion, but is diligent to mark how it is inferred. They read for other purposes, than the attainment of practical knowledge, and are no more likely to grow wise by an examination of a treatise of moral prudence than an architect to inflame his devotion by considering attentively the proportions of a temple. Some read that they may embellish their conversation or shine in dispute, some that they may not be detected in ignorance or want the reputation of literary accomplishments. But the most general and prevalent reason of study is the impossibility of finding another amusement equally cheap or constant, equally independent on the hour or the weather. Note 23. Appendix. People in general do not willingly read if they can have anything else to amuse them. There must be an external impulse, emulation or vanity or avarice. The progress which the understanding makes through a book has more pain than pleasure in it, language is scanty and inadequate to express the nice gradations and mixtures of our feelings no man reads a book of science from pure inclination end quote. hills boswell volume 4 218 end note. he that wants money to follow the chase of pleasure through her yearly circuit and is left at home when the gay world rolls to bath or tunbridge he whose gout compels him to hear from his chamber the rattle of chariots transporting happier beings to plays or assemblies will be forced to seek in books a refuge from himself. The author is not wholly useless who provides innocent amusements for minds like these. There are, in the present state of things, so many more instigations to evil than incitements to good that he who keeps men in a neutral state may be justly considered as a benefactor to life. But perhaps it seldom happens that study terminates in mere pastime. Books have always a secret influence on the understanding. We cannot at pleasure obliterate ideas. He that reads books of science, though without any fixed desire of improvement, will grow more knowing. He that entertains himself with moral or religious treatises will imperceptibly advance in goodness the ideas which are often offered to the mind, will at last find a lucky moment when it is disposed to receive them. It is therefore urged without reason, as a discouragement to writers, that there are already books sufficient in the world, that all the topics of persuasion have been discussed, and every important question clearly stated and justly decided, and that therefore there is no room to hope that pygmies should conquer where heroes have been defeated, or that the petty copiers of the present time should advance the great work of reformation which their predecessors were forced to leave unfinished. Whatever be the present extent of human knowledge, it is not only finite, and therefore in its own nature capable of increase, but so narrow that almost every understanding may, by a diligent application of its powers, hope to enlarge it. It is, however, not necessary that a man should forbear to write till he has discovered some truth unknown before. He may be sufficiently useful by only diversifying the surface of knowledge and luring the mind by a new appearance to a second view of those beauties which it had passed over inattentively before. Every writer may find intellects correspondent to his own, to whom his expressions are familiar and his thoughts congenial and perhaps truth is often more successfully propagated by men of moderate abilities who adopting the opinions of others have no care but to explain them clearly than by subtle speculatists and curious searchers who exact from their readers powers equal to their own and if their fabrics of science be strong take no care to make them accessible For my part, I do not regret the hours which I have laid out in these little compositions. That the world has grown apparently better since the publication of The Adventurer, I have not observed. But I am willing to think that many have been affected by single sentiments of which it is their business to renew the impression, that many have caught hints of truth which it is now their duty to pursue, and that those who have received no improvement Have wanted not opportunity but intention to improve. End of chapter 49. Recording by Pamela Nagami.